You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man. This is episode eight. And tonight we're going to continue our discussion about the mentally ill, but this time we're going to be talking about the mentally ill that work at the prison, the colorful staff that you meet in a career while working at the Utah State Prison. And joining me once again is Officer Sonny. Hello, Mark. And Hello. I don't think I I don't think you can call them mentally ill. I think you can call them mentally challenged. <laughs> well, you know, or, or just different. I know that as we talk about these different characters that we both encountered, and because our our time periods that we served the state of Utah are different, I know that you have some people that I never met, and I hope that I can bring some colorful stories and characters (laughs) that you've never met. Yeah, thank God. I think after 20 years, I'd met enough of those colorful characters. Oh, I tell you, but those are the best stories. You know, the, the, the inmates are fun. And of course they, they give us a lot to talk about, but I always felt like the stories about the people that we worked with are even more outrageous. Oh, I know. I know. I uh, have to tell you after the last episode we did, I <laughs> talked to one of our local librarians a couple of weeks and give her a link to the podcast and i walked into the office yesterday the library yesterday and before i can get in the office into the office i hear this i got poo finger (laughs) (laughs) so she heard that story you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's great that's great so people to kind of have an understanding of the backdrop you normally when you're assigned to a unit there were some guys that worked out there and they would stay on a unit for five, 10, 15 years. I know things change later on where they would start this rotation where you'd work three years in a particular place and you had to move to different buildings. But right. on an average shift, you know, you, uh, you get to know the crew that you work with. Some people come and some people go, but you got used to the certain officers, the other staff that you work with. But occasionally those people have vacation time, they have in-service training, or they call in sick. So you get these different people that are utility or people working overtime. So you get a little bit of flavor of every type of personality. Well, you you know, most of the people that were assigned to the utility pool were the officers that were just a little bit different and didn't fit fit into any one place. So they kind of spread them around. So everybody got to benefit from their unique proclivities. What you're saying is that there was a lot of fuck ups that couldn't get assigned to a unit. Yeah. But usually out there, it was fuck up, move up. If you, <laughs> if you worked on a unit and all you did was start fires and everybody else had to clean up your shit, they would promote you to get you out of the unit. Just go away, go do paperwork. We don't want you here. We don't want somebody to get killed because you're a dumbass. That's true. In the 20 years, I know, if you don't mind, Sonny, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite people that that I I got to work with numerous times. He became a favorite. I didn't see eye to eye with him all the time uh, as far as management style. He'd been there a lot longer than I had, and I'm going to refer to him today as Stormer. And... (laughs) And so this guy, um, I really don't know his background because the guy, he would tell all these, I'm going to say, tall tales. And and I don't know what was the truth or what was reality, but this guy had a lot of stories. Yeah, and but he, I don't mean to interrupt you, but see, I do the same thing now that I retired. I tell these people, regular folks, common people, uh-huh. what we used to deal with out at the prison, and they think i'm making this shit up but not not like the stories this not like stormers stories 
And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run down some of the things that kind of stood out. And Officer Kishlish and I, God bless his soul, he's no longer with us. But when him and I worked together uh, late at night at Olympus, we used to call up Stormer, who was also working graveyard shift at the time. He probably had 10 years on us as far as age. But this guy, we would call him up and just listen to his stories. This guy would go on and on and on. He was the... He was the master of one-upping you on anything <laughs> that you say. Anything. It was crazy. Right. He's been there. He's done that. My conclusion to this whole story of his is great because this other supervisor challenged him. And it was kind of interesting <laughs> on how that plays out. But so here are some of the things that he was kind of known to say. And we heard him say it. And we each had our own favorite. He said, you know, he could diagram the electrical system of a nuclear submarine from memory. <laughs> now, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Now, you know, if you just hear that alone, you don't think anything of it. But he would talk about riding a motorcycle in the snow. And you can imagine sometimes Utah gets a little bit of snow. But he said inertia, it's smarter to ride faster on a motorcycle in the snow because inertia will keep you upright. <laughs> now i don't know what the fuck that means but well it will keep you upright until you meet that uh, pylon in the middle of the freeway or <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy mm -hmm. uh he said that he at one point he had a van on two wheels and he was driving on i-15 through farmington and the winds were so strong that it actually pushed his van up onto two wheels and he had to drive the rest of the way on two wheels <laughs> now this guy's saying this stuff with a straight face and you're looking at him and you're like i don't know what the fuck he's on but i want in i want some of that yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. maybe he maybe he truly believed he was on two wheels uh, oh my god i know he was a couple fries short of a happy meal <laughs> but he said he had a chrysler at one time in his life that was stock it was stock motor in this Chrysler, and it could go 220 miles per hour. <laughs> Wait, you dropped it off a cliff? What? <laughs> right, right. Where, where, flying from the moon? <laughs> he said he found a cave in Ogden, and the cave went all the way to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all them little guys are coming from. That's it. They God, found it. Yeah. We, you know. I don't know why uh, ice isn't on top of this, but apparently there's a cave <laughs> and it goes all the way to Ogden. He had been a police chief in another state. Now that one terrifies me, but he said that he'd been, <laughs> he had like a force of so many officers and it wasn't a big department. <laughs> you know, you don't want to make it too uh, far-fetched. He, uh, he had been a police chief in another state. It's like Illinois or something. There was a lot of stories that went back to, where he was originally from right now this one's interesting he had he was doing something in his basement and he had a pickaxe and he was going through the concrete in his basement floor and a a geyser of gold gold <laughs> dust shot up out of his floor and it went 10 feet high which is interesting you know that most basements have an eight foot ceiling but this shot up 10 feet and he had collected a five gallon bucket of gold dust, but he'd misplaced it. <laughs> he didn't know where it was, but it, he had it. He had it. So that's, yeah. Boy. Yeah. I remember <laughs> storming. He had now, now what's the story where he had promoted himself to Sergeant? Did you hear that story? No, no. So, um, I have to admit that Stormin and I didn't get along too well because right. instead of instead of call, uh, letting him spout off on his bullshit, I called him on it, and he didn't like that. <laughs> no, that you would, I would be mad at you too, Sonny, because I'd be looking at you like you just fucking destroyed an hour of my shift. I yeah. really wanted to hear this guy talk. Yeah, but sometimes you just don't have time for that shit. Yeah, I know. You know? It's I like, know. look, this this guy over here, he's cutting his fucking throat. I don't have time to hear about you saving the armored car and whatever else you did. You know? <laughs> he's, you didn't hear he, that one, did you? No. No. Yeah. Armored. Okay. Well, now tell me this story. Okay. He was coming to work one day, and he was behind an armored vehicle going down <laughs> the freeway. And it exited the freeway at a high rate of speed on the on-ramp and tipped over. And all of the money spilled out the back. <laughs> I almost said his name. Storman ran up there 
took the shotgun from the officer in the vehicle because he was wounded and said, rest peacefully, officer. I have this now. <laughs> See, I love this. I love it. And, and just the amount, the level of drama you put into his voice, I, you are channeling Stormer. I love it. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can't forget that. Yeah, he said, you know, I stood, I sat there and and gave care to the wounded officer and held his shotgun until the police showed up and collected all this money that had fallen on the back of this armored car. He's a fucking American hero. Yes, he really he is. is. Yeah, where would it be without people like him? Oh my god! Now there's only one. That guy's Superman. I guess what happened was he tested for sergeant. And I don't know if he just kind of said, like, look, I got it. And he put on the bars. And, and I heard he wore them for a while. And they finally had to say, no, you, you're not a sergeant. <laughs> I and remember to... that now. Yeah, I had forgot yeah. about that. But, yeah, you're right. Eventually, no, I... he made it. Yep. But for a while there, he wasn't a sergeant, but he self-promoted. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Yeah. The, the last thing that I have about him is, is that there was another supervisor in, you know, everybody knew Stormer. Everybody knew the guy. And so, and they knew about his tall tales and they just kind of like shrugged their shoulders and threw their hands up like, that's just Stormer. But so there's this other supervisor that challenged him and said, have you ever been to outer space? <laughs> and you can imagine Stormer, he's one of those personalities where he had to stop and he had to think about it. And he's thinking and he's thinking. He's like, I've never been to outer space, but I've been to the edge of space. So he actually <laughs> relented. He didn't cross that threshold and land on the moon and get us all a block of cheese. But fuck, he was right there, son. He was right, he was right on there. The mm, he could taste it. Did you ever have anybody quite that extreme with their, their stories of what they've done, where they've been, who they are? Yeah, but he was an inmate. He wasn't a staff. Wow. This guy, we're getting off topic here, but he ran into the office one day and pulled his T-shirt up so he could see his belly and his chest. And he said, see this? He started pointing all these freckles and moles. And he said, I was abducted 20 years ago, and they tattooed the star chart on me. <laughs> this is where we are, and this is where they're from. He's pointing to these different <laughs> moles. Gross. <laughs> okay. Go back right, to your room. I, right, yeah, right, whatever. Go back to sleep. <laughs> pill um, on. Pill on. What? <laughs> exactly. Medication time. Medication time. What's the story? What's uh, What stands out in your head as far as all these colorful characters that we've engaged? <laughs> when I first started out there, I worked with this cat. We'll call him Bob. Bob was a Vietnam veteran. He'd bring in those photo albums of his kills. He'd have these dead Vietnamese soldiers on the ground. Had a picture of him with a, an ear necklace. He had like 20 ears strapped around his neck. He was a tunnel you rat. You saw this? Yeah, he was a tunnel rat. Do you remember? Do you know anything about Vietnam? I do not. The Vietnamese tunneled all over the place. That's how they got through the jungle. And when the American forces would find these tunnels. They had one dude that would go in with a flashlight and a 45 to route out anybody that was in them. And that's what Bob did. He was nuts from the get-go. Wow. But his last year at the prison, he decided to do the clinger thing. He all of a sudden was going to become a woman. He started showing up at work in the women's flat shoes, a mini skirt, a dead rabbit jacket. And he'd have his, he had long blonde hair anyway, and he'd have it teased up on his head and he'd have, <laughs> he'd have this pool chalk eyeshadow on, you know, the blue stuff. And he yeah. wore this perfume that the inmate wives would buy by the gallon. I think, because if you ever worked <laughs> visiting out there, though, the main thing that sticks in your memory is this, god-awful perfume that cheap it was like being cheap. sprayed with a skunk it stuck in your nose it was on your clothes yeah. when you got home anyway bob would wear that stuff <laughs> <laughs> all he was doing was trying to get the state to fire him his last year of his retirement he pulled this act with you know i'm 
cross-dressing now. I'm going to have a sex change operation. He went so far as to get a note from a doctor saying that he had to have to have a nap every four hours for 20 minutes due to the hormones that he was taking. And they said, okay, you have to go over here and take your nap. You can't do it on the unit. And he did. But uh, they stuck him on graveyards, and he, he worked in the sex offender unit. It was called SSD at the time. And the inmates were scared to death of him because he was dressing as a woman and wearing these clogs to do his tear checks. He would make this click, 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 click noise doing the tear checks. And scared the hell out of them. You know, now I, I remember there was a sergeant that had talked about this, this Bob. Mm-hmm. And I never met him because he was gone long before I started. But I remember seeing a picture of him. And I, I know that he did not make a very attractive. Uh, oh, Lord. He, you know, you know, it was the crypt. It was you know who the crypt keeper is, right? Oh, remember yes. That, remember that show? Tales from the Crypt. Yep. Yeah, that's him. That's yeah, him. he was real sucked in. His skin <laughs> yeah. was really rough. And then that that I remember the sergeant who carried around a picture of him in his wallet. <laughs> like most guys carry around their wife. He, this this sergeant didn't. He carried around Bob's picture. What what year was that that this happened? Uh, I want to say 89 or 90. I can't even imagine you taught the prison with, with him dressing up like they, that. They were scared to death of him. They didn't know what to do with him. One night we were, me and Bob and T and uh, a lady we'll call Karen, were okay. sitting out front uh, waiting for shift change. It was like, you know, 1130 at night. And we're all just sitting there talking. And Karen asked Bob, she says, aren't you scared of the surgery to have this go from male to female thing? And uh, Bob said, you know, I talked to the doctor about that. And the doctor warned me, he said that the worst part of this whole transformation is they cut into my head and take out half my brain. So I'm just like a woman. (laughs) Holy shit. Karen chased him around for a half an hour trying to get a hold of his ass. And the rest of us were just trying to stay out of her way. (laughs) <laughs> well i i could see where that was the wrong joke with her yes it was that absolutely was... the wrong thing to say know your audience mm-hmm. i always say know your audience mm-hmm. he used to mess with t t worked in control too t was blacker than midnight when he sat in control too with the lights out you couldn't see him basically nobody in there bob would walk past control too and you have to picture this it's just like a big bubble of glass Right. He would stop in front of it and use it as a mirror and he would fix his makeup and he'd straighten out his tits and he'd comb his hair and and it just made T absolutely nuts. He'd call up the block. Somebody's got to come get this motherfucker away from me now. <laughs> T was a big guy. What was he like? Oh shit. 350 pounds? He had to be. Big boy. When uh T was a piece of work, he was uh when O.J. Simpson had killed his wife and that other guy, and they were chasing him, slowly chasing him with the white Bronco. What's the March Madness? Final Four college basketball thing was mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Me and T were working in the corridor, and the corridor officers had an office at one side of the corridor. And of course, there was a TV in there. Every room in there had a TV. And Odessa was watching the finals of the Final Four, and they kept breaking in with the chase of oj simpson and i'm down the end of the corridor and all of a sudden i hear this door slam he yells at the top of his voice just kill the fucking nigger (laughs) whoa Whoa. what's going on t do i need to call for backup no i'm trying to watch this damn basketball game they keep chasing this stupid son of a bitch around in this bronco they just need to kill him God, yeah, T was—he was a very strong personality. I never knew him very well. He—he he just never seemed like he was in a good mood. Uh-uh. Uh, no, yeah, he was never in a good mood. But he was a funny son of a bitch. That's what I hear. Everybody tells me, but he—he he didn't joke with me. I was probably too new. Yeah. There's a guy that worked there, and I know you know this guy. I'm going to refer to him as uh, as Officer Gnarly, and <laughs> this guy is like a a hippie caveman who drove a VW bug, but he was not, 
he wasn't fat. He was just, he was stocky and he was real thick. He was a muscular dude. He was a real muscular dude. Nice enough guy, but he just kind of not the brightest guy that you've ever met. And he used to, I remember working with him for all over the place, all over the state prison. And he'd have this backpack and everywhere he would go, he'd have this VHS videotape that was like some Mormon movie, like a propaganda movie. And he'd always pull it out and he would say, hey, you want to watch this? And it's like, no, I don't want to watch that. And then five years later, you'd be on the other side of the prison, just randomly working a shift with him. Hey, uh, I got a video. You want to watch this? I don't want to watch it. You had that five years ago. It's and, the same and another, tape. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the edges were more worn out from bouncing around in his backpack. <laughs> but he, like I said, he wasn't the brightest guy. And one time I was working with him, and it was in Ochre 5. And I think there was like 280 inmates in that building. Mm-hmm. A huge dorm, uh, separated dorms, two stories high. They used to call it the old farm, right? Yeah, it was the old farm. That's where they kept all the old inmates getting ready to die and all the really young ones that couldn't protect themselves. They were put in there so the old guys could prey on them. And, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It was, it was a weird, weird place. But I mean, it was, it a, was. A, a mild population to manage. It wasn't really that bad. It was a norm. But, so I'm way at the other end of the building outside you had to go outside to walk down to the office and i'm way at the other end the inmates had told farley that an inmate they were waiting for him at commissary they had handed out commissary they're still waiting for this last inmate and so over the pa they've gone to farley and asked him to page this inmate so i'm down there at this dorm and i hear the farley's voice echo over the whole dorm setting and out into the yard all over the ochres and he's saying, Mike Hunt, inmate Mike Hunt, come to the office. Mike Hunt, come to the office. Anybody that's alive knows that joke. So I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe they played him on such a stupid joke. So I start walking back towards the office. As I'm continuing to walk, I'm going a little faster. And in all the dorms, because there's these big old school windows that you can see into each dorm. And the inmates are just laughing their ass off because they can see I'm stressed out. I'm walking as fast as I can and I'm about halfway there and he comes back over the fucking PA system and he's like, Mike Hunt, come to the office, Mike Hunt. (laughs) And I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, really? So I pick up the pace and then he starts coming over the radio saying, DeWolf, have you seen Mike Hunt? DeWolf, have you seen Mike (laughs) Hunt? And I get back to the office and I mean, like everybody's fucking hysterically laughing and, and this guy, gnarly, he's clueless, just completely clueless. I was so stressed out. I could feel my face was all red and i'm like how can you get played on that joke i mean like who doesn't know that? he didn't know that joke yeah. but um <laughs> another time working with the same guy in that same building you had made chicken something. yeah yeah and, we, had, we did a lot of cooking out there yeah and so there's a skillet that you guys had used and i had come on shift and and you guys did a great job and the chicken looks delicious i couldn't wait to to dig in well i got pulled over to the warden's office because they had a walk away at one of the halfway houses. Some inmate had walked away. And so they set up a command center over at the warden's building. So they said, hey, look, uh, you need to come over here and you need to take phone calls for anybody that calls in with tips. I'm like, shit. And I had never done it before, but, you know, whatever. So I go over there and sit there and, and people call in with different information if they'd seen them or had information. And then I finally come back, like they found the guy, it was 1030 at night, I go back over, I'm starving. And I go over, I'm like, oh, thank God that chicken's there. And I go over and I open up the top of the skillet and there are the bones. <laughs> and I'm like, now what the fuck? And I look at Gnarly and I look, what happened to the chicken? Oh, was that yours? <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious, man? And he's like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm like, fuck. And that's just that personality. Like I you know, you you feel bad for him and and uh in in one hand, but at the other hand you're like, Jesus Christ, can't they find like other people for me to work with? God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of characters out there. We had that a uh, lot. That old uh nurse, she was old when I got there and uh she was a sweetheart. She knew her shit. She knew all the inmates. She knew their games. She knew the system. <laughs> <laughs> and back then, before they had a pharmacy in there and they packaged the meds for the inmates and everything else, 
we had a big conference table in the middle middle of medical that had all the medications in bottles that the inmates were taking. And the doctor would write a prescription on a manila envelope with the inmate's name and number and what he was to take. And we'd sit around in the evening and fill these prescriptions from the bottle sitting on the table. Then we'd escort a nurse out to do pill line. And every once in a while, you'd come back and find <laughs> the nurse just passed out in a chair. And we'd wake her up and say, what's wrong? Are you okay? Said, oh, no, there was just, uh, I noticed there's a new medication there. And I figured I'd try one just so when I give it to the inmates, I can tell them what it'll do to them. <laughs> and it, it was a it was a regular thing. She would, you know, come in there and Doris would be passed out on the <laughs> table or something. It's like, oh, shit, must be some new medication. <laughs> but she carried this big old bag. You couldn't call it a purse. It was too big to be a purse. And it was all that she had in it was boxes of Ziploc baggies. And when they'd bring the inmate trays, when we got done feeding, if there was any leftover trays, she would separate the stuff into these baggies and take it home to eat. I don't think she ever bought groceries. All she ate was inmate food. Really? Yeah. I remember back in the day, um, staff would eat the trays, but under the Patterson administration, they said, no, no, you're, your staff don't eat the trays anymore. Right. And it was sad because I learned from a culinary staff, the same portions are made. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're doled out, they're figured out. And so the same portions will be made. And even though staff can't eat the trays, more of it's just going to go in the dumpster. Yeah. On paper, it looked as though they were saving money, even though none of that was true. It was just more into the dumpster, which is really sad. Yeah. Culinary was a strange place. There was a, a couple that worked out there. Like I said, I got there in 87, and they were old when I got there. And his name was Pappy. Was they, bo they both they both worked in the culinary? No, Pappy worked in visitation and, okay. and Spintop. I can't even remember her real name. They called her Spintop. Worked in the culinary. And she was a rather large lady. She wore a really bad wig. And the inmates would take paper clips and string and hang these paper clips at just the right level in the culinary. So when she walked by, it would snag her wig off. And it, <laughs> she could never get it back on just right. And that's how she ended up with the moniker of spin top because her, her hair wasn't quite right. <laughs> and then Pappy, he worked visitation. He was an old fucker. Like I said, when I got there, he had to been in his late seventies or early eighties. He worked visitation, which is a thankless, thankless job. <laughs> Whoever has to do it, it's a horrible job to work in corrections just because you have to deal with the inmates and their family and their children and the God awful perfume that they wear. They, they both ended up getting busted. Pappy got busted for molesting his grandkids and Spintop got busted for screwing an inmate. Oh my God. Well, I mean, apparently they didn't have a good sex life at home. <laughs> so they went uh, other ways. That's, that's crazy. Spintop and Pappy. That Spintop. was before my time. I yeah. would have loved to, I got to be honest with you. You know, I've seen enough drag queens and I look at wigs and toupees and it's always a fascinating thing to me, but I would have loved to seen her with her, her wig on crooked. I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. You can always tell it was a bad day when she would come through control one and her wig would be just crooked. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> it may fuck with her today. <laughs> I told you don't pull my hair. You motherfucker. So do you remember this would have been about the time that you and I were both working at Ochre five. But there was an inmate, and I he looked like he was either a Hispanic or Italian, but he had real black hair. And I said, that's a fucking toupee. That's a fucking toupee. <laughs> and they can't have a toupee in prison. Mm -hmm. And and I asked him, like, how did you get that hair piece? He's like, that's my hair. That's my hair. And I'm not going to reach over and grab the guy's hair because if I'm wrong, that's assault. So... <laughs> They ended up catching him, and I, I didn't catch him, but somebody caught him, and he was in the shower, and he had it off, and we fucking got it. But how the hell did he get in there with that thing? Because I don't know. 
I, I saw him without the toupee. And I'm like, I fucking knew you had a toupee, you motherfucker. <laughs> I knew it. That's an I, escape tool. I used to teach up at the academy. I taught the new kids coming in. And one of my classes was the contraband identification and, you know, how, how to find it, cell searches and that kind of stuff. Right. And I had a series of x-rays that were taking inmates <laughs> that had been trying to smuggle stuff back into the prison from home visits or coming back on parole or whatever. I had an x-ray of a guy that had two packs of cigarettes and a lighter up his ass. Another one that had a pistol, uh, one of those little small 22 caliber pistols. Handcuff keys were a common occurrence. Right. What was some of the other weird shit? Well, I heard, you know, I hear from like medical people the stuff that they've extracted in, you know, uh, <laughs> emergency rooms. But, you know, I know that inmates, I mean, that's a common thing that they shove stuff up their ass. Uh, there was a guy that came in and, this, and I was still brand, brand new. This guy came in, he had a skin flap on his rectum. So, you know, we're doing a search on him. He He's coming in and he bends over and it looks like, like the, where you tie off a balloon <laughs> and, it, and it looks like a little piece of elastic, a little bit of latex glove. And it's like, okay, come on, give it up. What do you got up your ass? No, no, it's it's a skin tag. It's a skin tag. It's a medical thing. No, no, look, this this isn't my first rodeo, motherfucker. Give <laughs> it up. The, not the first asshole I've seen. <laughs> That's right. Especially <laughs> me. I may be new here, but it's not the first asshole I've seen. So he ends up, we get him uh, seen by medical. We tell medical, come over because this guy's got something. And we're thinking, fuck, it's got to be heroin, cocaine, meth, something. They come over and they have him bend over and they tug on it. I'm like, no, that's that's a skin flap. He's not lying. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. That's, that is your asshole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, put some spit on it. It'll feel better. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a guy, and I know you know this particular person. Once I start to relay details you're gonna say oh yes 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 and i'm gonna refer to him as my man <laughs> when inside the prison of course you don't you have contractors that will come in for certain jobs that upgrades or huge jobs but typically a prison is like a city in, a, in and of itself and you've got your kitchen your culinary your warehouse You've got different trades that all work in the prison. These people are all full-time staff. So you have your electricians, you have your plumbing shop, you have your, your locksmith, just everything gets handled in-house. Right. And this individual was an electrician, but he was not a good electrician. <laughs> and he had a reputation for fucking up everything he touched. Yep. He was a character. I enjoyed him, but I don't know if he enjoyed me. I know that one time I was working over at Promontory with him and he was day shift. I was night shift and I come in and I, I go up to relieve him out of the control room or we're waiting for a couple more staff to come up and we're just kind of awkwardly in the control room together. I wanted to fuck with him, Sonny. So I, I'm looking out and I'm seeing all these inmates in all the different sections. And over there it was all your um, drug related offenders. And so they're in this program. Right. And uh, so they're all out there working out and they've, they've been in prison for a while. So they've started to beef up and they're all working out and doing push-ups and setups and all that. I'm looking out in the section. I said, you know, it's nice working over at the women's facility regularly, but I always enjoy coming over here so I can take in all this eye candy. <laughs> and this guy, it's really religious. I think he was Mormon. And I just remember out of my peripheral vision, him turning his head, looking at me and tilting his head and going, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I could tell the fucking guy was so nervous. He probably heard rumors that I was gay, but when I'm so out with it, you could tell it scared the fuck out of this guy. I was afraid you were going to take advantage of his ass. Yeah, Literally. right. He's totally my type. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Well, you know, th this guy had this reputation and he, I mean, like he would touch a control panel. Like they'd say, Hey, we have an electrical issue. He comes over and whatever he does, he burns up the whole fucking thing. Yeah. He does the wrong thing every time. Yeah. Everything he touches turns to shit. And we actually use that to our advantage. If we had something on the unit that was broken, 
we <laughs> we would get to you know talk to the lieutenant and captain. Hey, we got come on, we need to get this fixed. Oh, we'll call somebody eventually. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I'll get my man to look at it. <laughs> 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 and then it was like, oh, wait, look, this dude's here to fix this shit. <laughs> hey, we got to shut down this section for a week. Apparently, uh, my man went in there and, and fixed something, and <laughs> nothing works now. The doors or lights. Well, there was there was one time that I heard there was a bunch of people out there, and they were working on, like, an underground power line. And I guess the standard protocol is you go in, you shut off the power, and you put a sign up on the box. It's right, it's called not- a lock. A lockout, yeah. Okay, don't touch this. This is dangerous. And so you got a, a bunch of guys out there, electricians and whatever, and they're down in this ditch with this power line. My man is in there, and and somebody's cell light bulb wasn't turning on, so he went back into this electrical room, <laughs> and he sees this. He's like, oh, here's the problem right here. And he flips <laughs> it on. And these guys are out there in this fucking ditch. And I guess they can hear like the vibration of this thing powering up and they all jump out of the ditch and he almost fucking killed like three people. But that was, that was like a common occurrence with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever he touched, it didn't matter. It broke. They at one time restricted him only. You can only change light bulbs. Just that's (laughs) your fucking job. Just change light bulbs. And somehow he fucked that up too. And ended wow. up being put on the utility squad, like we talked about earlier, because if you you can't do this, we're going to stick you here. Wow. He was a good one. I enjoyed him. Yeah. There was nothing yeah. wrong with their personality. They were just kind of fucked up. No, um, they were. They were characters. There's, there's an old guy I worked with out there. <laughs> trying to give a name to these guys so nobody will know. But as soon right. as you start talking to them, everybody knows. <laughs> oh, that's so-and-so. Yeah, right. oh, I know him. Anyway, yeah. th- this dude had been there for a long time. He was a, just the nicest man you ever met. He he worked with knives. He could sharpen a knife pretty well. And everybody would bring their scissors and shit into him. But when you worked with him on a unit, beginning of the shift and you got everything cleared away he would sit down with a yellow legal pad and he would write a word at the top of the pad you know like sand and then i made the mistake of asking him what are you doing he said well this is how i pass the time i write down this word and then i write down everything associated with it i can think of and usually it takes me the whole shift and i ended up filling up one of these whole pads Fuck, dude. Keep going with it. What? <laughs> That's how he occupied his mind. Some people do crosswords. This guy thought of word association, I guess. Wow. But, how old was he? Uh, he was in his 60s, I guess. Wow. He was a great guy. He really was. He started Different. losing his vision. He got, I can't, I don't know what the term is, but he kept getting worse and worse tunnel vision to where it finally was just like he was looking down a tube. He had no peripheral vision. And they stuck him in a tower, which is kind of bad because you got a shotgun and a rifle and, you know, a pair of binoculars, which helps, I guess. But one night he's up in this tower, Tower 2, right outside of one, two, three, four, Tower 5, outside of Ochre 5. And it was raining real hard and foggy and everything, and he hears the fences rattling below him. So he pulls out the the weapon they had and he starts firing at the noise because he can't see anything. He's just <laughs> shooting at this rattling fence. Yeah. Well, he ended up shooting his inmate in the hand that was crawling over the fence. So he stopped an escape attempt, even though he didn't know what the hell he was shooting at. <laughs> <laughs> it was That's fun. fantastic. And one time back when, when they would transport inmates like the hospital or whatever, they would pile as many inmates as they could into the car and just have one officer as a driver to take them down there. Just as they left the prison grounds, this officer and two inmates in this car, and one of the inmates pulled a knife and stuck it to the back of his head. The officer just looked at him and jumped out the door while the car's still rolling. <laughs> the car ends up crashing oh and rolling in the ditch. But he was okay. <laughs> he, he was a he was a really nice guy. I still know him. I still talk to him. Um, really? Yeah. 
tunnel vision got so bad that they took him off the blocks and they stuck him in one of the control units, control points like control one or control two. And uh, when somebody would come through the control point, you'd have to show your ID or they would recognize you and let you through. Well, at this one control point, there was a little tiny door. We call them a bean hole where you could pass stuff in and out, but you, it wasn't big enough for anybody to crawl through or anything. Well, when somebody came up to come through the control point, he would look out through this bean hole so he could see them better. He couldn't see them through the window. And the female officers got really pissed off because they thought he was staring at their tits. And all he's doing is looking out this hole, trying to identify who this officer is. And he got in so much shit over that until somebody finally explained to the administration that the dude's blind, man. <laughs> we, right. We put him there to be safe. <laughs> wow. Did he get an award for stopping that escape? I I don't know that. That was wow. that was even a couple of years before I got there. Right. Okay. And the inmate, he he passed away a long time ago. He would proudly show the scar in his hand where, eh, look at this. This is where this guy shot me. <laughs> I tried to escape. Wow. <laughs> I tried climbing the cool fence. Story. That's interesting. There was um there was a guy, I'm gonna refer to him as um as Ted. And he was a supervisor. He was actually a lieutenant. I'm telling you this story only because he would tell the story and he's very proud of it. He had, <laughs> you know, other, uh, other staff would prompt him into telling the story and he, you could tell the excitement. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yes, of course. I remember that. I'll never forget it. And he would get really excited, but the guy uh, was former military and uh, he was very OCD. He would, he would always eat inmate trays and he would take it out, take the, the tray off the stack. And there's a, piece of wax paper between each tray and he would set the wax paper off to the side he would do his table setting with the knife and the fork you know the plastic <laughs> where that they supplied and he would eat his tray but now if he thought somebody touched it like if he got went up to wash his hands then the whole tray would go right in the garbage yeah and, you're, talk and, you're talking about snake aren't you well i i'm <laughs> going to refer to him as ted but we're probably talking about the same person. We are, because I used to I used to fuck with him. But when I'd see him <laughs> set his set his tray down and go to wash his hands, and I'd go over and just turn his tray like a quarter of an inch. Oh, yeah. And he'd come back, and it's like, oh fuck, I have to start all over. Yeah, yeah, it's a process. He would go home, and he would strip completely naked in his garage because the clothing from the prison would never go into his house. I'm assuming he got it dry clean because he would never wear it in. <laughs> but anyways, he okay, so he told us this story that he had a swimming pool in his backyard and he was out there one night with his wife. Him and his wife start getting, you know, fancy or uh, sexy and they start doing their thing. And as he's starting to to fuck his wife and his, <laughs> she's starting to really get into it, as he's doing his thing, the dog comes over and starts sniffing his ass and decides to give it a taste. And the dog starts licking his ass. And, of course, he's trying to shoo the dog away. But his wife's like, oh, oh, oh. And he's trying to wiggle his butt to, to use his butt to get the dog to fuck off. And the more he moves his butt, the, the, the wife is like, oh, perfect. Yes. Oh, my. Oh, right there. Ted. Oh, my God. And so it got to a point where she's so turned on, he stopped trying to make the dog go away because the movement was so perfect so he let the dog basically eat his ass while he fucked his wife and he loved to tell that story that That's was crazy. snake yeah we uh yeah we talked earlier about the the cross dressing guy yeah bob well snake he wore some pretty thick glasses his up close yeah. vision wasn't bad but his far away vision was shit Military it, issue. Yeah. BCGs, birth control glasses. Anyway, <laughs> you never heard that? No, no. That's what we called them in the military. When you got your initial, you went through boot camp and they gave you your prescription glasses. They were those heavy black frame birth control glasses. Because you can't get laid with those glasses on. That's Right, right. So <laughs> anyway, uh, back to the story. Snake. 
would see Bob walking across the yard in his, his get up, you know, his long hair and his dress and everything. And he just, God damn, that's one fine unit. <laughs> like, oh, snake. We love you, man. This dude's arms were so long. He could tie his boots without bending over. He well, was going to say he was real tall, real lean, and he was in great shape. He was an mm-hmm. older guy, but yeah. he was in great shape. Did you know uh, a guy named Louisiana? Well, I'm going to call him Louisiana, but you might make the connection, Sonny. I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So this guy, <laughs> he he worked at the prison. He, he was from Louisiana, and he had a very distinct accent. He was... Uh, he was African-American. He was a character. Uh, I actually, he was a good dude to work with. I mean, if as far as like, you know, if there was a problem, he was like this. You know, he was a good dude. Him and I were talking one time, and he was talking about how he was out at the bar, and he had this pickup line that he always used. And he would tell women, and he'd used this at a bar, and he'd said that he was from, from Utah. <laughs> and this girl's looking at him, and she goes, I, I think you mean Idaho. He said, I, I know you the whole bitch. <laughs> and I'm looking at him like, you said that to this girl? And he goes, hell yeah, I did. And I said, uh, how how well did that work out as a pickup line? He said, should I have her in bed in five minutes? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what, with a roofie or you just punched her fucking lights out? I don't understand that. Smacked her in the head with a bat and threw her in the bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you the whole bitch. Yeah. I okay. could not believe that that was his pickup. He's like, oh, yeah, it works every time. I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to try that. But it worked for him. He was a character. There was another time this same guy, he had gotten every year when you worked at the prison back in the day, you'd have to do a TB test. Right. They would do all the inmates and then they would do all the staff. Well, I guess louisiana had somewhat of a reaction on his arm that was extreme and this other officer saw his arm as other officer's name was travis said hey man what happened to your arm he's like, it ain't nothing it ain't nothing don't worry about it he's like no man seriously look at your fucking arm that looks like the appalachian mounts it ain't nothing man it ain't nothing. <laughs> no problems no problems I don't know if he was still alive. He had some reaction to that TV test and he's fucking dead or turned into the thing. <laughs> I think we called him the wad, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I can't imagine the names. But like I said, if you were in trouble, if there was a problem, if you need somebody to do count, he was right there. He was great. You know, that's the way most of the officers were out there. I mean, we we talk about these idiots that we worked with, but you work with idiots no matter where you're at. Yeah. But yeah. most of the time, if you were in trouble, you had officers climbing over your back trying to get there to help you. That's true. Yeah, it was a great bunch of people to work with. And these was, people, they just added spice to the whole pot, man. This is true. This is well, you know, it's it's the officers would always respond and do anything they could to back up, you know, back you up in a situation. Right. It was the supervisors that kind of fucking ran and hid in an office. Yeah, and then second guessed you when it was all done. Yeah, Are you right. sure you want to put this in your report? Yeah, yeah, dude, that's what the fuck happened. Do you want me to change it? I'm not changing it. Monday morning quarterback. You should have done this. Why didn't you do this? When they quit selling tobacco out there, we had an automatic problem with contraband because tobacco, you can buy at any 7-Eleven. You know, you walk in with it in your pocket and nobody knows you have it. And they would take, we called them keister packs. They would take these (laughs) packs of tobacco and wrap them real tight with electrical tape. And at night, the people would drive by and throw them over the fence. So the first thing we had to do in the morning was go do a yard check and pick up all the straight tennis balls and keister packs and everything else that we could find. And one time there was this keister pack that I swear to God, Mark, it was as big around as a tall boy Coors and about the same size. <laughs> we found it and we go, Oh no. Okay. We know it's here. We have to watch it and see who comes and takes this thing. Wow. So sure enough, we opened the yard we see the guys come out. They're wandering around. The dude wanders over, inmate wanders over to where this keister pack is. He squatted down for like a second and stood back up 
and the keister pack was gone. It's like, holy shit, he didn't even grimace. Damn. Yeah. Then we had, we had an officer that got tired of dealing with his shit. <laughs> I'd forgot all about this guy. He would bring in packets from the Asian restaurants of the spicy mustard. <laughs> and when he found the keister packs, he would oh. rub with the spicy mustard and put them back. It almost turned into a big ass lawsuit. The ACLU was there. Who's the guy that charges everybody? The attorney general. Right. Came out and was looking to hang his ass for cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> He's like, hey, I didn't stick it up their ass. <laughs> they stuck yeah. it up their ass. Right. But That's... I tell you this to tell you, tell you that to tell you this about the report. Me and the uh, officer were walking through the parking lot coming from Uena going over to Wasatch. We found a, a milk carton, paper milk carton, half gallon, full of tobacco in the parking lot. And at, at this point, we we're so tired of dealing with this shit. It had been yeah. like six months after they did away with tobacco in the commissary and inmates were desperate. We found this tobacco, and I told him, Dean, I said, you pick it up. No, fuck you. I'm not picking it up. If I pick it up, I got to write the report. Yep. Well, you saw it first. You pick it up. No, fuck you. I don't want to write the report either. So we ended up writing a report anyway. For it to make sense, you had to sing it instead of read it. And you know that old song, while strolling through the park one day? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you had to sing this report. Walking through the parking lot today, found a <laughs> thing of tobacco. Anyway, we got in trouble for that. I thought it was kind of creative. I don't know. I, I give it to you. That is very creative. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Oh, yeah. Tobacco was an instant moneymaker for anybody that wanted to take advantage out there. You know, I, I, tobacco will always be contraband. I mean, for those, uh, is there any place that even allows tobacco anymore? I'm not in anywhere in the United States. I yeah, don't I don't. Unless things have changed, I think that they still don't prosecute for people bringing in tobacco. I don't know if that's changed, and that's why officers that end up turning dirty, they will bring in tobacco to make money once they get corrupted. Right. But, because they won't get charged like with hard drugs or pills or whatever. Yeah, the only thing they got charged with was introduction of contraband to a secure facility, which was pretty much a slap on the wrist right at the time you know the inmates could buy a pack of cigarettes generic cigarettes off commissary for a buck and a half well when they stopped selling tobacco a pack of cigarettes automatically went from a buck and a half to a hundred dollar bill there was people that were officers that were struggling to make ends meet with a lot of children or whatever i'm not condoning what they did they would bring in a carton of cigarettes and make a thousand dollars or two thousand right. dollars. You know? That's crazy. Yep. I, they um, created their own problem that time. I, you know, I'm going to bring up a, a supervisor that you probably heard of. I don't know if this was while you were still there or if it was after you left, but I'm going to call him Sergeant Strokes. <laughs> and this guy, you know, when you talk about the insanity of how that place operated at times with certain supervisors. This was a supervisor. I understand if I get the story correct and tell me if I'm wrong here, Sonny, but this guy got caught masturbating in his office <laughs> and turned it into a medical issue and got a masturbation privilege card where he could go to the academy <laughs> during the shift because it was a stress reliever. <laughs> I had forgot. All about that, but yeah, I know, I know who how you're do, talking about. How do I get a masturbation privilege card? I mean, I, like, do I have to stop and escape the <laughs> keeper of the gate? Ma fuck the keeper of the gate. I want a masturbation privilege card. I want to go jack off at the academy in the middle of my shift. Where are you going? Don't ask that question. <laughs> I've got, I've got a card. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, look, here's my pass. Here's my, okay, well, it's your hall pass. Oh, masturbation privilege card. Sure enough, you got one. No but, problem. So that, there's, there's the tissues right there. Enjoy. Do, do I understand that story correctly? Is that? Yes. I don't remember who it was, but yeah, I, I remember that happened. 
Man, that's a, that's a stroke of good luck right there. <laughs> Several strokes, yeah. <laughs> it really is. There's this other person I want to talk about real quick. And this was an individual, and again, he, he was a character. The only way to really describe him is we're going to call him Willow. <laughs> and, and this guy was, him and I worked together for a long period of time. And he, would, he was so fascinated about the fact that I was gay. <laughs> and he would ask some of the weirdest questions, Sonny. He'd be like, if you and I were in prison together, and if we were roommates, would you want to have sex with me? <laughs> and I would look at him, and I'm like, you know, you're married. You got kids. I don't know why you're asking me this. I'm just curious. I don't know. That's all. I'm just you're you're putting out feelers. I, that's the vibe that I'm getting. Is you're putting out feelers. Okay, Willow. I won't I won't touch you for the first two weeks, but after two weeks of cellmate, I'm, I'm, two, I'm, I'm taking that little starfish, buddy. I'm gonna just take your tray for two weeks, but after that, I'm gonna want more, bitch. You know, I I tell you the reason that he got the nickname Willow, and I know you already know this story, so I'm just telling the listeners. Because he was small in stature, and he had kind of uh, elvish qualities to him, <laughs> you know, there was this other person that worked there, and he would get on the radio. The way that the radio is set up at the prison is different channels were for different areas of the prison. And if this other person knew that Willow was working, he would change to his channel and start saying Willow over the radio, <laughs> mimicking from that movie. And, of course, Willow would get really pissed about it. And he was convinced. I don't know if you know this, Sonny. One day, him and I were in the control room together. I was right next to him. And he said, I know it's you that's doing it. I know it's you, Dwarf. <laughs> and I know it's you. As we're talking, and this is no shit, this other unnamed individual came over the radio saying, Willow, 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 Willow. <laughs> and he looks at me, no shit, and says, how did you do that? <laughs> I'm a ventriloquist. Here, let me yeah. stick my hand up your ass and I'll show you. <laughs> let me, yeah, this time it's just my hand, I promise. <laughs> you know, if you ask anybody that works out there, who's Willow, they're going to start laughing. Yeah, that's well, well they only know him because he got busted for stealing from the vending machines out there. <laughs> The, right, right. Tell me, I know that you had a story that we talked about uh, last week, and it was about twins that I didn't know. This would have been... Oh, yeah, the Lieutenant Twins. So tell me again. <laughs> this is probably one of... No, probably my favorite story that you've ever told. <laughs> we had a Lieutenant. Uh, how do I say this? <laughs> <laughs> Every, every once in a while, this lieutenant would come to work and he would be like really confused. He didn't know where his office was. He didn't know where the, you know, the infirmary was or where, what report to do for this. And me and the other officer that works on the unit, we thought the guy was having a mental breakdown. And this went on for like six months. He'd like every four or five weeks, this guy had this attack. He couldn't remember shit. He'd, you know. Just weird. Well, all of a sudden, this guy disappeared. Didn't show back up to work. When we started asking questions about it, and finally, one of the administrators called us in and said, okay, this is what's been happening. This lieutenant is a twin, and him and his twin trade jobs every once <laughs> in a while. So his twin would come into the prison to work the lieutenant's job, and the lieutenant would go to the other guy his brother twin job and work his job and they say that his twin was a gynecologist oh my god <laughs> and it, it never hit the newspaper you never heard anything about it they just disappeared they went away and that's kind of the way the state handled shit back then it was, well, if we don't talk about it, it just goes away it never happened i mean i can't even imagine because just you know working at the prison you do have to know certain things. And it's like you work with this one guy that like one day he's really on and he's great. And then the next day he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was to the point where we were calling up, you know, higher ups and going, 
hey, I think there's something wrong with this guy because he doesn't know where we keep the reports. He doesn't know what who this is, you know, or where that is. And he's a lieutenant and has been here for like 15 years. Weird. Yeah, it was it was a strange thing. I love that story though, Sonny. That's like my favorite story. I got I got one more before we close this out. It has to do with with again our good friend Tony Kishlish. I miss we, him so much. I yeah, part of me died when when he when he left us. Yep. We were working with this guy <laughs> from Fiji, character that we had talked about last time. The, the guy from New York. Who this guy from Fiji, this officer from Fiji? I got two finger, and that's him. That's him. <laughs> the two of them, a lot of times, didn't get along because uh, I'm going to refer to this officer as just as Fiji. He's from the island of Fiji, and he's pretty straightforward, and he's very religious, and he had a very thick accent because he was from Fiji, <laughs> and it was a very deep voice. And so one time, Tony came over to housing. I'm sitting in housing, and and. Tony gets bored and he wants to start shit up. So he calls into this person, uh, New York cell. Ed, this is Fiji. <laughs> and if we were in Fiji, I would cut you up and feed you to the sharks. <laughs> well, at that point, Ed freaks <laughs> out and just starts screaming, you know, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and starts calling him the N-word repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And I look at Tony going, fucking thanks, man. Now I got to deal with this. <laughs> and Tony's like, no problem. You're welcome, and runs back over to the other side of the control room. I'm sitting there, and I'm laughing, even though uh, New York or Ed, whatever, is inside the cell freaking out, screaming and going off. And you can see everybody in the section kind of looking back at his cell like, I wonder what he's mad about. <laughs> and as I'm laughing, who comes around the outside of the control room but Fiji? And, he, and he's now outside the control room and he's walking towards the sections. Now you can imagine my face. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and so he comes around and he passes Delta. He passes Charlie, and of course he goes over to Baker section door. And who's in Baker section? Well, that would be Ed. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my god, why is this happening? <laughs> and so as soon as I'm like, well, I got to fucking open up that door. I got to let him go in that section. So I pop the door, and Fiji goes in there. You know, he hears uh, Ed screaming the N word at him a million times. So he goes over to Ed's cell, and the two of them start going back like cats and dogs. And I'm like, oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Just another day at the Utah State Prison. Well, Tony was the instigator. He, you mm. would never, you'd never think it by looking at him or talking at him, talking to him or anything else. But this guy was a master of fucking with people. At, at some point, we're just going to have to have a, an entire episode, Sonny, uh, and just talk about, <laughs> about art. About, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you one real quick one, real fast. We went down to the med cell, and this guy's on complete strip status, and this guy's a real hairy fucking inmate. He's wearing nothing but underwear. <laughs> but he's really fucking thick black hair, and we both walk up to the cell door at the same time. Tony looks in, looks at him, and says, all right, buddy. Who gave you the sweater? Give it here. <laughs> and I, I had to turn and walk away. <laughs> I had to turn and walk away. And I'm like, I don't know where he comes up with this shit, but the guy is a, is a comedy genius. He's oh, genius. yeah. He was amazing. Um, uh, so sharp. <laughs> well, any, uh, any other final thoughts on today's, uh, today's discussion of the mentally ill, or excuse me, the the different staff that we work different. with. You know, God damn, you could talk about this for days. There's, yep. there were so many of them. Some of them stayed out there. They, they fit into the system and they worked and everything was good. Some of them were so different. They created so many problems. You had to get rid of them. Uh, yep. you know? Yeah. There was just a, a bunch of characters out there. Everybody you worked with had their own unique personality because that's what corrections does if you you can't handle this shit and deal with it in a humorous way or however you choose to deal with it then you're gonna break making jokes and laughing and everything else that's how we deal with stuff well you know i i tell you sonny if it weren't for the people that we've talked about on today's episode i don't think that i could have stayed there for 10 no. years uh -uh. 
because they really made that job entertaining. Yep. There were people that worked there that were strictly by the book, strictly officers, strictly, you know, and you hated going into working with them because you knew that because they were so rigid in their ways that it was just going to be a hard shift. Yeah. Yeah. Long. Yep. And then there was people like Tony that was like, <laughs> this is going to be a quick 12 hours. <laughs> oh, he, yeah, it was like a roller coaster when you're working with Tony. So mm-hmm. fun. So fun. Well, we're going to wrap this up. This has been episode eight on the Gay Florida Man podcast. Sonny, thank you so much for joining me once again. For Thanks your for second, having me, Mark. I appreciate it. It's been a blast. Your second episode, and I hope that uh, you'll come back and join me again and we'll We'll share some more laughs. Oh, I'm taking notes as we speak. There's so much shit to talk about, about things that happened out there. <laughs> I'll tell you about the time I found the machete and the 45 Magnum bullet. Ooh. Or 44 Magnum bullet, excuse me. I'm excited. <clears throat> well, you get excited easy. The, this is true. This is, <laughs> and this is not even a bathhouse. I know. And you I'm excited. Excited when the wind blows, baby. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I leave you with the message that I leave you with every week. Be good, and if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in the state prison, you're not good at it. And my little tidbit of information is, if it's wet and it's not yours, don't touch it. (laughs) Good (laughs) advice. Good advice. Good night, everybody. See you later. Bye.